Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Please pray with me. Father, we do um, come before you and we give you glory. And we say, God, not I, but Christ in us. That's our hope, Father. And Father, as we open your word now and we continue to worship you, by considering what the scriptures say to us, I pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would enlighten us with your Holy Spirit, so that we might consider who you are and what you've done, and how we're to live, and that we would experience your power through the Holy Spirit in the resurrected Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. So let me tell you about the church in China. So, you know, give you a little bit of a history lesson. The church in China, actually first, China first heard about Christianity in the 7th century. So we're going way back. And then in the 13th century, the Catholic tradition was introduced to China. And then in 1807, just a little over 200 years ago, the Protestant tradition was brought to China. Isn't it incredible? We're a part of all that, by the way. As believers, if you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you're a part of that great legacy, that work. We're connected to it. Well, most of the emperors in China have been against Christianity and have worked to undermine the work of the church. In fact, most emperors have had missionaries and evangelists murdered. That's been the history of China. Let's rewind, which fast forward it to more present times. In the 1960s, China began an effort to, to, splur, uh, to squash the work of the church. And they did this by sending and torturing church leaders. So church leaders who arose in that time were tortured. They were sent to labor camps. And ultimately, many were put to death. So the churches had to go underground in China. They meet in homes. They meet secretly. And the church, though, has still been persecuted. The Chinese government has still sought to end the work of the church, to undermine the work of the church. So much so that leaders are being imprisoned even as we speak right now. Church leaders being arrested simply for being someone who represents the body of Christ. They'll go as far as having the police change the locks on doors of people's homes and places where they gather. Children are in some cases not permitted to go into a place of worship. It's against the law. It's incredible. And then you hear quotes like this. Here's here's a quote from one of our Chinese brothers. He says this, he says, every day we're in a battle with fear. Can you imagine? Every day we're in battle with fear. That the very essence of your life, what you believe, your faith, is something that's constantly putting you in peril. That's the life of a Chinese believer. And really, it's the life of a Chinese believer, not just now, but for decades upon decades upon decades. It's the history of the church in China. Yet, 
in spite of all of that, there are over 100 million Christians in China today. Is that not incredible? Not only that, not only that, it is estimated that by the end of this decade, by 2030, that there will be more Christians in China than anywhere else in the world. Talk about God's power. I mean, here are people who are trying to stop God. Guess what? You can't stop God. He's unstoppable. He's unmovable. And that's what the people of China are finding. What an incredible thing that's taking place. We should pray for our people, our, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in China, the church in China. I wonder this. Do you want to experience that kind of power I just described? A power that, that overcomes challenges. A power that's not hindered by whatever circumstances a person might encounter. Do you want to have that kind of power in your life? Let me ask you another question. Do we even, when I speak about we, it's us, the church. Do we even have an appetite to know and experience the Christian life more deeply? I mean, think about that. We're talking about the new year. What is it that you want in this new year? What are your goals? Do you have any goals? And is one of those goals to know Christ more. To experience the life of Jesus in a way that's deep and touches you. You know, most of us come into 2020, and what are we bringing into 2020? Well, we're bringing this sense of being stuck, being mired in our ways, selfish ways. Ways that, that, that reflect our pride. Unforgiveness. Stuck in habits that we just can't seem to get past. There are some people who come into 2020 and you're just carrying this sense of, of despair because of loss in your life. It might be the loss of a marriage. It might be the loss of a loved one. It, it actually might be that you are anticipating, and by the way, this is a terrible thing to anticipate, but you're anticipating the loss of someone you care about. Or you might be coming into 2020 just with a sense of, wow, I'm really burdened by the fact that this person I care about doesn't have anything to do with the faith. It could be a brother or sister. It could be a child. It can be a grandchild. It could be a friend. It could be a co-worker. But you've got this sense of, I, I just wish this person would turn to God in the midst of their days, in the midst of their life. You're carrying these things. Here's the question. Where's the power? Do you want to see the power of God in your life? Let me tell you something. This life, this Christian life that we're a part of is bigger than Sunday. It's bigger than just this once a week gathering that we have here. Or even if it's twice a week, if you show up here on a Wednesday, it's bigger than that. In fact, Jesus said this in John 10. Jesus said that I have come to give them life. Life to the full. Life abundant. That is what He has come for. He has come to give us a life in which we can walk in His power. Do you want to know what that power is like? Well, if you do, I got one amen. If you do want to know what that power is like, then we are going to look at the book of Ephesians this entire month of January. And we're going to look at this letter that the Apostle Paul has written to us. Paul read it, wrote it to a people who were living in a place called Ephesus. Now, Paul was actually the founder 
of the church in Ephesus. We believe that was around 52 to 55 AD. Paul founded the church in Ephesus. He subsequently visited Ephesus to check on the people, to lead them, to teach them. And he wrote this letter, which is left behind for us. And God just didn't give us, give us this document as a historical piece of literature. This is meant to be life to us. It's meant to be something that helps us understand the power of God so that we could face the things that we face even now in 2020. Paul was writing to a group of people who were confused. You see, they had worshipped a goddess named Artemis historically, and then there were all sorts of mystical religions. They were confused. He wanted to set their beliefs straight. They were also confused about how to live as a Christian. Paul was calling them to live a life worthy of his being a Christian. They were confused about their faith heritage. All of these things are pertinent to us today as well. You have any confusion in your life? Well, listen, this book, Ephesians, is going to address it for us, and we're going to hear about the power that is available to us as believers. Would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians? We're in chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 16 today. Check it out. You can look at your Bible in your lap. The words are on the screen as well. You can read along. Paul starts in verse 15 by commending the Ephesians for their faith and for their love. And then he says this in verse 16. Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Doesn't Paul sound a little bit like a, a proud papa here? I mean, here he is with this, this group of people, a part of a church that he had founded, and he's, and he's showering them with these, these compliments. But yet, there's another thing. Paul isn't satisfied with them. Despite the fact that they've been faithful and they're growing in love, he says, but yet, there's still more for you. Just like a good coach would do. Just like any kind of good leader would do. Paul is challenging them to do more. I think the same thing's true of our church. You might look at our church and say, wow, they've been around for 25 years and they've accomplished this and they've loved people in this way and they have this partnership across the city and they've been faithful to the gospel. But listen, we shouldn't be satisfied. And if Paul was here today, he would challenge us and say that we shouldn't be satisfied. There's more. There's more for this church. There was more for the Ephesians. There's more for each of you. What is the more? What's well, listed right here for us. We see it at the end of verse 17. What is the more? He says this, so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. That is the more. We are called to be people who are constantly growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, growing in the knowledge of God. Growth and knowledge is indispensable to holiness. You want to be holy? Well, listen, you must grow in the knowledge of God. And what is the knowledge of God? This is knowledge of Him. It is personal. It is intimate. It's about God Himself. It's about knowing truths about God. I got someone that we're putting the screen right here. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list. We, we couldn't fill up enough screens in this place with all the truths about God. And they go much deeper than this. 
But we are to know intimately these signs of things. This is where the power resides. This is our way unto holiness, to truly know God. That's what Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was. They would know him more. Yes, they were growing. Yes, there were good things happening. But still there was more. Listen, church, there's more for us. Let's read about this more because we hear what it is that we can be looking for and how we can know God better. So continuing in verse 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know, in the biblical usage, the heart is the whole inner self. It's comprised of your mind. It's comprised of your emotions. It reflects all that. That's what the heart is. And the eyes of the heart are inner eyes. Here's what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying these eyes, these inward eyes, need to be open so that we can understand, so that we can grasp and be enlightened about God's truth. That's why I just prayed right now. I adopted Paul's prayer and said, open the eyes of our hearts so we may truly know him. So I pray even now over us. I pray God would open our eyes as we continue in the scripture so we may truly know him. And here's what we're to know. The hope to which he has called you. It's right there in verse 18. We're called to know the hope to which he has called you. So Paul takes the Ephesians. He takes us back to the beginning of it all. Back to the beginning of our Christian lives. The call of God was not purposeless and random in your life just as it wasn't purposeless and random in the lives of the Ephesians. The call of God is something that is, that's for us. It's something we're called to, and it's outlined right here. I'm going to go over these really quickly. Here are three things that we know about the calling of God. The first thing is this. We are called to freedom. We're called to freedom. The Israelites famously were set free. From Egyptian captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. And through miraculous things, like the parting of the Red Sea, they found themselves walking out, skipping out of Egypt into a life of freedom, except they weren't truly free. Yes, they were free from the oppression of their Egyptian masters, but yet inwardly, they were still enslaved to sin. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. You could read about it in the Old Testament pages. And you'll see that they struggled. They were set free, but yet they were still not truly free. I wonder if the same thing is true about us. Listen, we have been called through Christ to live in freedom. Those habits that you feel mired in, you feel stuck in, you've been called to freedom. Here's the second thing we know about our calling. We are called to community. We're called to be a part of a family. We're called to be a part of a fellowship. And this fellowship, this is a spoiler alert for next week, is something that, it's, that, that, that crosses classes. It crosses racial lines. We are called to be a part of a family that is diverse, that encompasses all people, Chinese believers, African believers, Australian believers, European believers, South American believers, Central American believers, across the ages. We're called to a community. The third thing we're called to, and this is the most difficult one, is we are called to suffer. We are called to suffer. This is a hard one. Why do I say that? Well, listen, 
Christ suffered for us. And he left us an example. But the good news is, is that the suffering isn't the end of the story. We know this, there is hope beyond the suffering. There is, to use a biblical term, glory beyond the suffering. There is something else for us. That's why the Chinese believers, in light of their persecution, that's why they have hope. Because they know that there is hope beyond suffering for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why the Macedonians that we read about a few weeks ago in the New Testament, though they were destitute, they had nothing, they were dirt poor. That's why they had hope. Though they were suffering, they knew it was something more. That's why the writer of James says, consider it pure joy when you suffer trials of many kinds. Why? Because there's hope beyond it. We're called to suffer as well. And so we find that another verse in Ephesians is true. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. As a prisoner of the Lord Jesus, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Listen, live a life worthy of the calling you received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is what we are called to. It's a life in which we know, love, and obey and serve Christ. It's a life where we enjoy fellowship with Christ and with one another. It's a life where we look beyond whatever present suffering we're going through. And we cling to the hope of glory that we have through Jesus Christ. There is power in having our eyes opened to our calling in Christ. Let me remind you of this this morning. You're walking in this place, thinking about 2020, thinking about what's ahead of you. Listen, look back on your calling. There is hope for you. There's power for us in knowing what our calling is in Jesus. Amen? All right, let's keep on going. Let's look at some more verse here. Let's look at verse 18 of Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So Paul has us look back to our calling, and then he has us look forward to our future inheritance. Listen, if you are among God's people, then you are heirs of God's kingdom. In fact, we are fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. We have an inheritance. And by God's grace, one day, we will receive that inheritance. What's it look like? What's it going to be? What do the streets, you know, what are they made of? I don't know. Here's what I do know. The scriptures tell us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who believe. I know there's an inheritance. And Paul's reminding us that there is power in considering what this inheritance is for us. Let me tell you something else about this inheritance. It is not going to be a private little party for just you. Some people think about heaven and, and, and we think about ourselves like it's a kid's birthday party for you at McDonald's, which by the way, back in the day were pretty cool. I used to love to have a party at McDonald's. But it's much bigger than that. It's not about us. This inheritance is not a private party. On the contrary, it's a party for the masses. Listen, th there is going to be a multitude that no person could count present when we receive our inheritance. No people can count it. More than anyone can count. And it's going to represent every nation on earth. 
the Chinese will be there. It's going to represent people of every tongue, every tribe. Get used to it. They won't be people who just look like us. It's the family of God gathered together and we'll all be before the Lamb of God. And we will see God and His Christ. And we will worship Him forever. Not only that, we will be transformed in body and in character. And we will have perfect fellowship with one another and with God. That is the inheritance that we have to look forward to. Listen, there is power in anticipating our heavenly inheritance with joy and with gratitude. When I was a kid, I used to hear people sing these songs in church about the sweet by and by. And when the roll was called up yonder, man, I thought that stuff was so cheesy. I didn't get it. Why are we singing about this stuff? What about this life? What about right now? Well, listen, now I understand a deeper truth. Thankfully, graciously, the God, Lord has taught me something that's, that's a little bit deeper, and that's this, that there's power in considering this inheritance we have. This is our true hope, and there's power to help us overcome the things we face presently right now here today. That power's for you. I want to tell you some more about this power. Look at, again, we're looking in verse 19. It continues and says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he's describing this power. It's incomparably great power. Well, we've looked back to the beginning, to our calling. We've looked ahead to the end of all things. And now this is where we get to the in-between space, where we are right now. And there is power for us today. It speaks to this time in between. It's incomparably great power. I'm going to tell you about it in three ways. Look again at verse 19. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted, God exerted, when he raised Christ from the dead. Listen, the power of Christ is greater than death. The power of Christ is greater than death. Just yesterday, I was, I was with John Guest. He's here with us right now. John, hair looking fabulous as always. Your, ha your hair is the envy of all of us, and you're 83 years old. It's amazing. <laughs> he gave me the thumbs up. That's good. I'm not fired. John was telling me that he often will get out the old church directories, and he'll look at the pictures, and he'll consider the people who are no longer with us. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough when you consider the people that we've lost and the people who have passed on from this life. But here's the thing that John knows. Here's the thing that we know. Here's the thing the people of Ephesus knew. That this life is not the end for those who believe in Jesus. That there is hope beyond this grave. Why? Because God has done the most amazing thing. He has raised Jesus Christ back to life from the dead. And he has given him new life. It's life beyond what any of us have experienced in this life so far, but we're all going to experience this new life when Jesus Christ raises us with him. That's, that's our hope. And so listen, there is a power that is greater than death. If you are sitting there and you're facing the death of a loved one, the death of a career, the death of a marriage, the death of whatever in your life, there is a power that's greater than that death. Okay, let's keep going. If you look again at verse 20 and 21, you'll see this. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule 
and authority, power and dominion, and in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Listen, the power of Christ. Did you hear this? The power of Christ is all-encompassing authority. We say the government will be on the shoulders at Christmas time. That means that, that he is above every human kingdom, every human ruler, every kingdom authority, um, earthly authority rather. He is above all those things. Jesus is greater than all of that. He has power. He has authority of all that. Not only that, Jesus has authority over evil. He has power over the demonic in this world. You think that evil's just running rampant? Listen, Jesus has power over it. And you know what? He has summoned us to be a part of his work. He's called us. And he said, you know what? You get to work. I got a job for you. You are also called to be people who are stamping out evil in this world. Robbie mentioned that we're, we're in the midst of our, our right to life month. Choose life month. This is important in our church. You saw the baby bottles. You heard about the trip that's going to D.C. I want to say this. First and foremost, the numbers tell us that there are most likely, due to the fact that there are one in four or five women who have had an abortion, that there's most likely a person here today who's had an abortion. It's likely. That, that there's a man here who signed off and said, yes, let's, let's have an abortion. That there are people here who, who perhaps put someone in a car and drove them to an abortion clinic. The numbers bear out and tell us that, that, that that's present with us here today. Well, here's what I want to say to you before I say anything else about the issue of abortion. God loves you. If you've had an abortion, God loves you. If you have signed off on an abortion, God loves you. If you drove someone to the clinic, God loves you. Listen, Romans 5.8 tells us, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he died for that sin as well. The other thing I'll tell you is this. We are passionate about life. We're passionate about it. You know why? Because we believe that every human being is created in God's holy image. We believe that every life from conception has the seeds of potential, kingdom potential, to do great things in this life. We believe that God has used babies like Jesus, like Samson, like the, the, the people we read about in the Scriptures to do wonderful things. And so we advocate for life. We also advocate for grace. We do both things and we'll walk with people. You know what that is? That's us being a part of this all-encompassing authority. It's us invoking that in this life. That's what we do. Let's look at another aspect of this power. Verse 22, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? All this everything and filling and all this sorts of thing. What does this mean? Well, here's what it means. In short, the power of Christ fills the church. The power of Christ fills the church. This is important. I want to fast forward just again and, and look at verse or chapter 2 of Ephesians. I want to point one verse out to you. It says, God raised up Christ... Uh, I'm sorry, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
Listen, Jesus has been elevated. He has the right hand of of the Father. And we have been seated with him. You know what that means? The power of Christ fills the church. So as we consider the next 25 years at Christ Church, oh wow, the potential is unlimited. Not because you guys are so talented. Not because we're so clever. But because of the power of Christ that fills his church. Can you imagine what God can do? I mean, just here's one little sliver. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this church was reaching young families like no other church in Pittsburgh? The children and youth and young adults were coming to love the gospel of Jesus Christ and being raised up as leaders. That can happen. That's not a pipe dream. Not because of our resources, not because of our building, but because the power of Christ fills the church. Amen? That's our hope before. And that's why Pastor John last week gave us a verse for the year. It's Joshua 1.9. What's Joshua 1.9 say? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. The power of Christ fills the church. Are you fired up, people? If we were on a football team, we'd be jumping up and down right now, getting ready to go. Come on. This is our life. Listen, this all-encompassing power of Christ in your life is much bigger than a Sunday morning church experience. There's something more for us. I got to close this up, but I want to tell you a story about China. A testament. The testimonies from China are incredible. They're inspiring. Google them. Let me give you one. There's a, there's a province in the northeastern section of China. A little village there. I can't pronounce the names of these places, sorry. But there's this little village there. And a few years back, an evangelist came to this village. And he shared the gospel with the people. And, and get this. Every family, every family except for just five, surrendered their life to Christ. Not just individuals, households, families gave their life to Jesus. All but five. It was amazing. Well, they continued. Those families who got converted, they continued to pray and to share the gospel, to share Jesus with these other five families. And they they eventually saw four of those families also come to Christ. Well, they weren't content with that. They weren't content with one family in their midst not being surrendered to Christ, not following Jesus. And so they prayed and they shared And that last family, isn't this a wonderful thing? That's how the church should be. We're not content. We're not content until all of Ohio Township and all of Swickley and all of Pittsburgh knows Jesus. Every one of them. Well, they prayed to that end and that one last family bowed the knee. They came to Christ. And God used that little rural village to have an impact on that entire province Because of them, they shared their faith with neighboring villages. And it just had this like, this overwhelming effect on all the people. And that province now is overwhelmingly Christian. Could God not do that right here? Don't you want to see that kind of power in this church? Of course we do. So so what's the deal? Does it happen through the zap of the Holy Spirit? Does it happen if we study the books more and, and learn from more authors? People get divided in both camps. Some people say, no, we just need to, we need to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. 
Well, that's actually not what Paul's telling us here. That's, that's half true. That's certainly a lot of truth in that. But it's not simply pray and wait to be enlightened. On the other hand, it's not go and read more, go and learn more so we can articulate our faith better. It's not that either. It's actually a combination of both, and we see it here in the book of Ephesians. What do the believers do? What does Paul say for us? He says, listen, I pray that your hearts will be enlightened. I do pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes so that you'll see. And then he commences to give them a historical argument. He engages their minds with a historical argument about the power of God and how he's demonstrated it through Jesus Christ. It's both the Holy Spirit and our God-given intellect working together. So you know what our action step is here today? It's going to feel really lame, but it's really powerful. And it's this, to prayerfully ponder what God has done. That's our action step as a church here today. Here's how you can do that. Read the book of Ephesians. All this month, read it with us. Some of you might read it a couple verses at a time. That's fine. Go for it. Others might sit down and read it in one setting. The whole book of Ephesians. That's fine. Read it again. But meditate with us. Prayerfully ponder what God is saying to us through the book of Ephesians. Because we want to see the power of God come to full fruition in the life of our church. Amen? Last thing I'll say. We're going to come to the altar here. We're going to receive communion. Love how we serve communion here at this church. It's wonderful. It's personal. Powerful. As you come, you may be wondering, well, can the power of God handle the sin in my life? I mean, I got a history. I got years upon years of sin. Sins that people don't even know about stacked up on top of each other. Can the power of God handle that? The answer, unequivocally, is yes. The power of Jesus, the power of God, is effective against all sins. So as you consider coming forward to this altar, you're all invited. And as Robbie said earlier, the only prerequisite is this, that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want to pray and give you the opportunity right now. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for how you open the eyes of our hearts so we can know you. We pray, God, that you would continue to do that. We pray, God, that we would know your power. That your power be displayed at Christ Church in an incredible way that, that speaks to the fact that our faith is something much more, much bigger than just a Sunday morning church experience. Let there be a movement, God, and let it be for your glory. God, this movement begins with people putting their trust in you. Some of my friends here today, they're, they're renewing their commitment to you. They're saying, yes, again, yes, I need Jesus. Yes, I need the power of Christ to overcome my sin. Yes, I need the power of Christ to help me overcome the death I'm facing. We know, God, that you are able to do that, Father. And Lord, there are others who have never, ever put their faith put their trust in you. If there's anyone here who's that we have today, it's really easy. God, I believe in Jesus. Say it to him in your heart. God, I believe he is the son of God. God, I believe that Jesus died to pay for sins. He rose again. I believe that he paid for all of us. God, I place my hope, my trust, 
in Jesus. It's that easy. No magic words. God, as we celebrate communion, may we all consider Christ, the bread of heaven. May we consider His blood shed for us. And may we be nourished by it and empowered by it to Your glory and for Your glory. We pray all this in His powerful name. Amen.